Hi guys, I'm your host Tim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of We Need to Talk About Movies, a podcast brought to you by the Bantaflix Movie Review website. Joining me now as we chat all general manner of cinematic nonsense for the next hour or so is local filmmaker and producer Margaret McGoldrick. Hi, Jim. Hi, Margaret. How are you? How are you keeping? How are you enjoying the not quite lockdown, lockdown life? I'm enjoying it. Okay. I wish I'd watched more than what I have. I'm really disappointed, Margaret, with what you've been watching. You know, we had you on I'm... Instagram live and you just say, like, you're too busy working. How dare you? How dare you? You should always have time for cinema. Well, I always do have time for cinema, but cinema doesn't have time to have us in right now. So when when I can and it's safe, I will happily be at the cinema. But I'm playing catch up on a lot of uh, must watch TV okay. with with the boys, as we've discussed, being added okay. onto the list. Okay, we'll forgive you for now, and listeners. Thanks. You might have heard someone laughing in the background, and that is local blogger James Oliver from the website for Toxic. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Hi, James. How are you? How are you enjoying the not-quite-lockdown life? You know, it's nearly coming to an end in theory. Anyway, and I know we had you on our very last Instagram live hangout. We had Margaret on as well, you know, a few weeks ago, but you were on the last one. So listeners may have heard from you recently, but how are you? I'm good, yeah. I'm very good. Um, it's nice being able to get out of the house now and see see a friend and go for walks and stuff. So yeah, not quite normality, but we're getting there. <laughs> okay, guys. So this week we're going to be talking about Saint Francis. The film is getting a cinematic release. It will go video on demand at some point. It was originally going to go straight to digital download, but. Now, with the fact that cinemas, in theory, are reopening, it will get a cinematic release. Unfortunately, we'll probably have to wait a little bit longer here in Northern Ireland. Before we get too much into talking about the film, because I know we're going to have an interview with the film's director, Alex Thompson, and its star and writer, Kelly O'Sullivan. Can I ask, Margaret, just for you, can you tell our listeners as much as they need to know about St. Francis? So St. Francis, which is written by Kelly O'Sullivan, who's also the lead and really bloody good as well. So she is Francis. Um, she gets she finds out that she's pregnant, unplanned, doesn't want to go through the pregnancy and um, has an abortion. And so the film is about her dealing with the abortion itself, the aftermath, whilst she has also recently become a slightly unconventional choice uh, for a nanny of a six-year-old child. Yeah, played by Ramoda Edith Williams, who, as I said in the interview that you're going to hear, the little girl that plays Frances in this film made my ovaries tingle. If that's physically possible, I don't know. I haven't checked. Something tingled. I think it was my ovaries. But let's not go there. Let's not delve down that rabbit hole. So before we go any further, Margaret set our listeners up to tell them as much as they need to know about the film. So let's very quickly play our interview with film's director and its star and writer, Kelly O'Sullivan. So what's your favorite color? Hey, slow down. How old are you? How old do you think I am? 52. Why do you think that? Because that's how Linda was. 
And she was this slow with you. I'm 34. Do you have kids? No. Are you married? No. Do you have a boyfriend? No. A girlfriend? No. Do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? No. Then we have something in common. I'm tired. We just started walking. Will you carry me? Let's go back and get the stroller. No. We're almost there. It won't take long if you carry me. The park is really close. So that's a clip of St. Francis and I'm joined now by the film's director, Alex Thompson, and its leading lady and writer, Kelly O'Sullivan. Kelly, I'll start with you. Tell our listeners as much as they need to know about the film. I would just say it's about a woman who's in her mid-30s who gets a job as a nanny at the same time she decides to get an abortion. And the entire movie is about um, the relationship between this nanny and her sort of obstinate charge, this girl, Frances, who's absolutely amazing um yeah i think that's what it's about that's kind of our log line yeah i don't know if it's physically possible as a man but francis uh i think she's is it ramona edith williams is the young yeah. actress i don't yeah. know if it's physically possible but she did make my ovaries tingle when i was watching this film <laughs> can i, I just understand that yeah yeah you know and, and i kind of that's all i can say about that and uh you know for for you Alex, what was the challenge of casting a young actress for that role? And I suppose the kind of key thing, how much of that is Ramona and how much of that is what was written for the, the film screenplay? It's kind of remarkable. She was the youngest person we saw. So we we only saw about 35, 35 girls and she was the youngest. So our producers were not keen on the idea of us uh, she was five years old when we saw her. And so she was six when we shot and she was word perfect. So every sing- everything she says is Kelly's script. So, it, it, but everything that she sort of is, is Ramona. So she really walked on set with this sort of sense of herself that she never let go of. She, she never seemed like she was performing or uh, playing a part exactly. So um, it was like a perfect marriage of the two. And then when you're on set, having been to a few sets myself, like it's a stop-start process. Making a film is not always smooth. How then, when you have such a young actress, how do you keep her entertained? How do you keep her kind of on point during the, the, the filming process? Well, Kelly, um, you know, I've, I always felt sort of bad because Kelly kind of fell into this babysitter role, this nanny role, you I might became say. a nanny again. Yeah. I used all of my nanny skill set. And Were you possibly method acting, kind of just kind of taking it yeah. to the kind of role, kind of going full Daniel Day-Lewis? I, yeah, I guess so. I didn't intend to, but I pulled a Daniel Day. Yeah. Um, we let her, we let Ramona run wild the first week and her parents actually pulled us aside and they were like, could you please, we don't let her do this at home. She's running into camera people. I mean, it was, it was fun, but uh, it's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like we're talking there about Francis. What about Bridget? Tell us a little bit about th- this character and tell us kind of, as the film's writer as well, can you tell us a wee bit about the, the genesis of the project and how it kind of snowballed into the, the final feature? Yeah, I mean, the genesis is two very real things that happened in my life, which was I was actually a nanny when I was in my 20s. And then when I was in my early 30s, I did actually get an abortion. And so when I was thinking about writing a film, I thought those two experiences could be really interesting if they were juxtaposed in the same summer. 
And if that was just a starting off point, that then there's a whole other plot um, that doesn't just surround this abortion, but that it surrounds the evolution of their friendship and, and Bridget's sort of immersion into Francis's family and the way that all of their lives kind of ping pong off of each other for that summer. Um, yeah, so that was the genesis of the story for me. And then I just have like a big old soft spot in my heart for Bridget or for anybody, any woman who's in their mid thirties and um, feels like they don't have it figured out because I think there's been a, this incredible pressure for everybody, but I think for women in a special way to kind of have your career, your relationship, um, having children, that you should be on that path if you haven't already made those choices. Watching the film this morning before the interview, I was kind of thinking the, the closest maybe kind of thing I've seen to films like this is stuff like uh, The Kids Are Alright and even like something like Obvious Child as well, which is a film I absolutely adore. How big a part of this for both of you guys was it to give that sense of representation, to see... Because that's what viewers want. We want to see ourselves reflected back on the big screen. We want to see ourselves because, and I hate this term. There's two terms I'm going to use in this interview. I hate. There's dramedy, right? And then another term I've heard in a few interviews or a few reviews of this is talking about the female experience. I, I do hate that buzzword, but they are important <laughs> things. Because there's a big yeah. thing of this. We have three, particularly three women in this film who, in a certain regard, they feel slightly ashamed. They feel like they're failing in certain in in different ways. There's you know a lot of big things thrown into the mix here, but they're not. They've nothing to be ashamed about whatsoever. A big part of it is just being able to talk. And yeah. I think it's Bridget's mother says the thing we need to talk about these things more to that sense of normalising. So there must be that sense with this feature of we are creating a platform to discuss these matters and a platform to showcase these things that you know, it's okay to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. And the, it's the fastest way out of feeling lonely and isolated is to say, I went through this thing. And then so many people will say, oh my God, me too. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes the first person kind of opening up and sharing that experience to get the dialogue started. And it was incredibly important to, for me to portray um, the complex experiences that you don't see when you just look at somebody's house or you, you get to know somebody on the street. And um, Bridget gets to see everybody's mess just by nature of being in the house and they get to see hers too. Yeah. And, you know, I think Kelly always, always talks about how life is dramatic. Life is funny. Life, life has all those, all those sort of things in it at once. So the effort with the film and making it was just to try to strive for authenticity and naturalism and that the laughs and the tears would come out of that naturally. Uh, so you know, we tried to, that it didn't feel forced as much as possible. Yeah, because I mentioned the term dramedy. It's a term I absolutely hate. But how how much of a useful tool, though, is comedy in being a diffusing factor in being able to cut into some pretty important issues? We've mentioned a few of them there in terms of particularly abortion. That is something I want to come back to. But uh, we have postnatal depression as well and menstruation, you know, shock horror, women menstruate. You know, it is a thing I'm aware of. My, my wife and I talk about this on a, on a monthly basis. But comedy is such a diffusing factor to be able to create a platform for discussing these things. Was that something that was of particular interest to you? Oh, yeah. If you can make somebody laugh, you have their heart. It just opens them up and it keeps people engaged in a way that I know I grow tired if it's a two hour drama. By the end, I'm like, oh, wow, I feel like I've just been punished. Um, but if you can keep people 
laughing, they'll want to stay with you the entire time, especially if it's laughter of recognition, which I think we were trying to go for here. It wasn't, you know, we weren't interested in writing jokes in having like, uh, you know, a cliche sitcom kind of movie, but we wanted something where the laughs come out of, oh, right, I've been through that. And so I'm laughing as a way of connecting. Obvious question in the room, Alex, like as the, the man kind of involved in this project for you, this just working on this project with your partner in the same sense, but does that create a sense that you can talk about these things more and be more confident and upfront about talking about these things? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we were just talking about this yesterday that I think the difference between putting your foot in your mouth is just being informed. If you can talk about something in a way that doesn't come from assumptions or bias or a movie you saw 10 years ago, uh, that it's actually about specificity and I don't know, curiosity. I mean, that's just what a director does. So, you know, you, you're curious. That's the only way to really do the job. So it was scary at first, honestly. Like very, at the very beginning, I was nervous I wasn't the right person for it, um, just by virtue of who I am. But um, it slowly became clear that, you know, I, I didn't set out to sort of make, find my take on this story. The script spoke for itself. Um, and, and it's been really fun following the film around and seeing the way that it sparks conversation and um, dialogue, just like just like it preaches. There's one thing in particular from watching the film today I did want to talk about, and it is, you know, a, a big part of the film. And there's, well, there's a key thing, actually. I think, Kelly, you said this in an interview I was watching. There's, there is an abortion in this film, but it is not the event. It is, it's it's an event within the film. But can I just talk to you both about the challenges of a film in that sequence and kind of how that evolved from what you had maybe originally written and then Alex, you coming in as a director. And I suppose the third player in this is your DOP as well. Nate, you know, from what you had originally written to then what we see on the screen, what was the, the biggest challenges for that? Well, originally it was... It was like a montage only the, the, after she takes the, the pills. Mm -hmm. It was a yoga position. It was like... A, oh, yeah, that he like gives her, he uh, gives her massage, a back, massage while she's in child's pose or something. And then there's a shot of them reading. And then he like is making her food. And then he makes her food. And Max Lipschitz is an improviser. And so, and I had thought, we had this great printout of um, all the symptoms. That, basically, the, the piece of paper you get when you when you got the pills. And while we were shooting, I thought, well, I don't know if the audience is gonna understand all this blood that's about to happen. What if we have him read this and Kelly and Max can just kind of groove with it and improvise and Harry Potter came in mm -hmm. and uh, it, it just became this like really fun, joyful thing. And Nate was just game. I mean, Nate, Nate was our operator as well. So he was just sweating and you could see his movement in, in the film too. Um, <laughs> yeah, the intention was always to have that, that sequence not be scary. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I didn't know anything about what it was going to be like to have an abortion until I had one. And there are things that are certainly anxiety inducing, but I was like, for people who watch this movie, who will maybe get an abortion one day, I want to show a version of that that can be equally true to the scary version, which is you can have a supportive partner who like helps you get through these physical things and, and these emotional things. And so we wanted intentionally to have it be 
sweet. And it's crazy to say that, but like a sweet abortion montage is something I'm really proud of. I totally agree. And I suppose bringing it back, you know, to your own personal experience, you know, kind of for you, I mean, what were the experiences of what you would have seen on the big screen that when you think of kind of abortions, when you were thinking, when you were going through that process of say what you had maybe seen on yeah. screen because only one that really comes to mind for me off the top of my head is I'm kind of and it's this is only a lightning bulb moment is kind of stuff like Dirty Dancing where it's oh, yeah. kind of apart I mean stuff like that where it's a very traumatic part of the film it's very much an event within the film but was that some I know I guess I know the answer here already before I've even asked it but that must be something that you must as you've alluded to there in the back of your head you know you yeah know, wish there was something there when when you were younger going through that to have seen on screen rather than where it, the abortion is the big event, the will they, won't they kind of stuff. Well, and in so many TV shows and movies, the woman changes her mind. The possibility of an abortion is brought up. She is about to get one and then something happens and she'll change her mind. And so I think the messaging of that is that um, in order to be like a good protagonist, you should change your mind. You should go through with this pregnancy, even if you don't necessarily want to. And while I think probably there are plenty of people who have changed their minds and have had babies and loved them, um, I think there are also many women who have gotten abortions and don't regret it. And so it was really important for me to show that as well, that it doesn't have to be this like um, scary health crisis like in Dirty Dancing, um, and that it doesn't have to be this, you don't have to wring your hands about it if you know what you wanna do. There, you know, there are many different experiences that women go through, and this was showing one version. Yeah. I know we are nearly out of time, but a big part for this film, it's earned its reputation on the festival circuit. You know, I think of South by Southwest, and I know that's 2019 festival circuit. 2020 is a very different kind of scene. For, for you guys who are working in the industry, what's your kind of thoughts right now? I always hate at the minute bringing up COVID. We've tried to make Banterflix as COVID a free zone as we possibly can. <laughs> but... For you guys that are working in the industry right now, you know, particularly, I suppose, from just a filming point of view, but also the festival circuit as well, your thoughts on how that's going to change and the logistics that lie ahead and the challenges that lie ahead for 2020, 2021 for the independent film scene? I think everybody's thinking small. We're both think, trying to think small, which is useful because St. Francis was small. So when we, like Kelly's script, it could be big. It could be, it could be this like sort of ladybird, big Hollywood multi-million dollar dramedy. And it could be, and it might end up being that. But it could also be, you know, under a million and done with sort of a, a small scattered crew and um, there's a lot of outdoor work. It's weird the things you start thinking about with COVID. Um, you're like, oh yeah, we need a, we need more outdoor scenes. Mm -hmm. um, but festivals are just a big question mark for me. You know, it's like, do I, do I even want to go in a movie theater? I'm so excited that the film is opening in the UK in July. I mean, I'm so excited that, 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 you know, the opportunity will be there. But at the same time, I'm like, if I was there, would I go? <laughs> I'm, I'm just nerd. You know, I, I want everyone to be safe. I want everyone to be safe. That's all. Is this the point where you have to go say, yes, of course I would be there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I was just thinking we're trying to get people to go. See well, this. well, really, one of the big one of the big things we were think, thinking about was this, uh, the theatrical wasn't guaranteed. And so now knowing that we've got it, I wish we could be there with you right now. Yeah. You know? That's the big regret. But then just from a point of view, 
the simultaneous release as well. I think the film will potentially be simultaneously released. I mean, that must be a big kind of key thing as well. I know in COVID times and even non-COVID times, that's a big thing for the independent film scene because multiplexes, like here we are in Belfast, we're multiplexes. We'll have no problem when it's released seeing stuff like Tenant. That'll not be a problem. They'll not, right. stop, not a problem seeing Black Widow, but we have one independent cinema here in Belfast yeah. where a film like St. Francis might find at home. So then for you guys, the we are this is such a big thing at the minute, simultaneous release, premium rentals, all that kind of stuff. This is all being tested in these current uncertain times. How big a thing is that then to for you to be able to know that your film, it's out there? Any you people can access it if they can't physically get to the cinema, they they're able to kind of get it through digital download, legal digital download means legal right. legal legal digital download methods. It's huge. Oh, it's, it's it's opened up a world of possibilities, and even for people who nor in normal times couldn't make it to the theater, they can see our movie. Like you don't necessarily that you can put the kids to bed and then you can hit play and you can watch our film in a way that you can't necessarily do yeah. if the only option was to go to a movie theater. So I've already had people reach out to me from like elementary school who rented the film online and watched it. And um, I'm so grateful that that's an option. And I do think that's going to be a huge part of how people see movies for a while. Yeah, there's a big, there's a, there's a benefit to the idea of a movie being this big event, but then there's also something fun about getting to be a part of someone's day-to-day -day life. You know, the, 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 a part of somebody's, you know, after work, um, turning on the television and watching something that makes them feel good. So I, I think that's kind of fun. That's kind of exciting. Um, getting to be inside people's homes. And my last question, I know we're, as we said before the, I started to record the, the not quite lockdown lockdown, but, what are you guys working on next? How are you using this time of the, the COVID to kind of work on your next projects, tighten everything up from a screenwriting point of view? What have, what are you kind of what will we see you guys working on next? Kelly's got a wonderful script that she's working on that we're going to be sending out to co-direct, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a sort of Hitchcock horror film uh, set in the hospital and then a, a few other things. Um, but we're we're really just trying to we're trying to find the people who are also in lockdown, lock, not quite lockdown, lockdown, and see if they want to watch our movie and <laughs> and hang out on Zoom for a little bit and um, kind of those relationships that you would have had on the festival circuit. Mm. We're trying to meet those folks and uh, you know get to talk to as many people as possible. Because so. I think the film's doing Edinburgh Film Festival. It's a film festival I go to yeah. quite a lot. I think yeah. they've kind of done went down that route as well, kind of because I think the film's available digitally through them. I think it's through Criterion, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm assuming then if this hadn't been a COVID situation, you guys would have been potentially in Edinburgh? We would uh, 100%. I know. Every day I'm like, I wish we could go. Yeah. Um, but we'll hopefully we'll just have to make another movie that gets in that yeah. festival in the yeah. future date and then go then. We we've my sister studied in Edinburgh, so we we love Edinburgh. So yeah. It is a city I love, and it's a festival I attend regularly. So hopefully you have to keep to your promise. We will see you guys working on another project oh, yeah. in Edinburgh, and the next time we meet, you'll remember the guy with the Game Boy and the screen. And, the screen yes. Yes, that's all we need. So hopefully one day we'll be able to meet physically. So thank you very much, guys, and uh, look forward to what we see in the future. Thank you, guys. Thank you thank so you. much for the thank conversation. You. We really appreciate it. So that's our interview with Alex Thompson and Kelly O'Sullivan. Margaret, you set us up 
for what the film's all about. So I'll start with you. And I feel you might have given the game away when you referred to Kelly O'Sullivan as being bloody brilliant. Uh, oh, well, yeah, it's, it was really surprising. Really surprising. I mean, I watched, um, when you when you said about this film and I watched the trailer and thought, okay, it looks interesting. I like an indie. Um, and then I was watching the film and, you know, they deal with the abortion very early. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay. And it just kept changing for such a contained indie film. She, the characters, especially her, so, so casual about abortion, which I was really surprised at. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, that's that's a, an interesting, it's a bit of a bold and new approach for a story to take, you know, because there's, there's just not many, I think, that are as casual as what she is. And um, But then as the film goes along, it it does show how it's affected her in different ways and I thought right okay now we've actually really got the human approach I mean I thought at one point they were going to go they were making a case for her regretting it and I was like oh is this is this becoming like an anti-choice an anti-abortion film and then it resounded off with here's how you know her conclusion I sort of don't want to spoil too much but her conclusion and I just thought they rounded it off so well for a movie for a story they ticked every diversity box you're mm-hmm. looking for but they did it in the most natural way that I don't feel like it's box ticking at all. You know, we've got pregnancy, abortion, um, depression, breastfeeding in public, periods. That is a running thing throughout this film um, in a way that I don't think I've ever seen something covered before. Um, we have you've racism, uh, lesbian parents, um, mixed race relationship it's it there's so much um but it all feeds in so well you know it doesn't nothing is shoehorned in um the movie i mean i think the movie was over two hours long but i have to say it really especially for an indie i mean i i was a wee bit put off the start when i saw that but you know obviously i was watching through and it was just it moved story moved and i think i think every performance is just bang on so no, I mean overall, like I, I'd really recommend people to watch it um, if and where they can. I'm really glad you liked it because I thought this was brilliant. I really did, and it's one of those films where I think the trailer slightly missells it. I think it tries to sell it as much more of a heartwarming, sugary, sweet drama, and that's not to say it's because I mean it varies, and I hate that term, and I mentioned that in the interview. I hate the term dramedy, but it very it is I mean there is undoubtedly funny moments but it's not like a an outright comedy in the mold of something like um Amy Schumer's train wreck no. which is trying to kind of give a I hate this term you know it's trying to give a, a better representation of the female experience you know and that's it's, it's all about representation and it does it and I think as you've hit the nail on the head Mark it does it in a very unshouty way in a very naturalistic way so I'm I I am really delighted you liked it and there's things I want to come back that you touched on that are right on the money for me. But James, you know, what was your thoughts? Whilst I can certainly appreciate um, you know, what it did and the subjects that it tackles, personally, I really did not enjoy this film. And I feel bad in saying that. Like I do love indie titles as well. Um, you know, quite recently in the last few years, I've come to really have a and develop an appreciation for world cinema and you know foreign films, indie titles and all that. But this was just a film that I couldn't wait 
for it to finish. I just did not like it at all. We kind of watched, uh, if you remember, Jim, we watched uh, The Hunt um, back towards the start of the year there. And I remember in that podcast afterwards, uh, Jess had said about, um, what was it she, the term she referred to as like political buzzword bingo. Um, that's kind of the vibe I got with this film. So it was. So I just, I, I have to say I didn't enjoy it. Okay, I I take what you're saying on board, but I I had the complete opposite. Like, I mean, do not try to drag up the memories of the hunt for me, James Oliver. I mean, there is a film that I will just get rid of. But I I've watched this twice. I watched it for the interview, and then just before we sat down to record this evening, and I I really enjoy it because, and I hate that term. It's this idea of trying to give better representation of the female experience. Shock horror, Margaret, shock horror, James, women menstruate. And it's weird that when we think about it, that in comedies and mainstream comedies, sperm, shit, piss, and I, those are probably not there, but they're all acceptable things for comedies to kind of delve into and mainstream comedies. But if you go into menstruation, it's like, oh, no. No, 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 that's a step too far. And this film, okay, it opens, there's a bit in the trailer where it opens and I'm going to be open. I've had a similar experience in my life to that. And I was like, yeah, I've been there. And I just liked it. And I think that by the same regard, you know, in this film, we have three women who in different ways, we have, I think it's Bridget, Maya and Annie. And they all think in certain ways that they're failing and they're ashamed of certain aspects. And there's no reason to be ashamed whatsoever. I think there's a line, I think it's Bridget's mother, says that we need to talk about this stuff to kind of de-kind of mystify it and get it out there in the open. And that's only a good thing because it's the thing, I'd read an interview with Kelly O'Sullivan and she had said, and it'll be interesting because you touched on that, Margaret. She said what she wanted with this film was for an abortion to be an event in the film, but not the event off the film and I think they succeeded I don't know just your thoughts on that because that's one of the things she wanted to do I know we touched on in the interview we kind of well I kind of tried to think of the the only other film I could think of off the top of my head that really dealt with um, abortion one of the films I mentioned was Dirty Dancing where it is clearly a very traumatic horrible incident in the film but you know for this I thought this was handled really well you know how did you think I, I thought that sequence as a whole that abortion sequence was handled tastefully and really well, but it's just kind of, I know it's, you know, sensitive subject matter and stuff, but that's just my thoughts that that in that whole actual thing was handled really well. And I think it's, you can see coming through the influence of having a female screen, female screenwriter who has been through that in her own personal life has in bringing that to the big screen. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, it's kind of just hard to pin down I think just because the film goes through so many emotions through the course of this one storyline I mean I was thrown a bit when after the course of the abortion you know she's warned you're going to bleed for so long mm-hmm. and at one point she comes out to the guy she's seeing and she's holding you know the you saw, I think her sandry tall and she's like do you think that's it and I was like oh that's and and it was it was slightly made light of in a way and I was like this is that's weird that uh, for me I was like that's that's an unusual way to show that and I thought wrongly that that was setting the tone for the film um 
not that I would have checked out of the film by any means anyway, you know, for sitting down to watch it, I want to watch it. But it really showed um, her journey as she deals with it um, and having to finally admit that she isn't quite dealing with it the way that, she, you know, she's been making herself to believe and it has had an effect on her, even if it's been the right call for her. And the thing is, what I think is interesting is that I don't think that you have to be, I mean, I, I wouldn't go into the whole pro-choice debate yeah, because I I mean, that's mean. a whole separate thing, but I don't think that you have to be pro or, or anti to watch and acknowledge the film because this is something that people are going through regardless of your take. So I think the story's still valid. Um, I really liked how the guy she's seeing is unfazed by her having a period and it's not like oh okay can we not like talk about that and deal with it and I'm you know it, it, it's about normalizing um aspects um but I mean the movie as a whole I think it, I don't know it had a lot of light moments for me um I can't remember her name the little girl in it she's just superb oh Francis yeah like uh yeah like, sorry the actor's name I can't remember she's just oh. as a, she's just brilliant brilliant performance um out of her I mean the character's so well wrote and they work off each other so well you know this six-year-old girl this 34-year-old woman you know um in some you know there's times where Francis is the you feel like she's the or not sorry Francis um Bridget she's the amateur mm-hmm. isn't it Bridget yeah yeah isn't her name? yeah she's like the you know the amateur child and you got the six-year-old given off to her about certain things um I mean it's it's a coming of age about a 34-year-old mm-hmm. and I know so many people who are in and around that age bracket who don't really know what they want and they feel like they should that I think that's we're used to coming of ages being you know I'm leaving school at 18 and I don't know what to do with my life but the reality is actually it's a decade or two later and people are still feeling that way and I think that needs to be a way more I think that's more interesting so it is I think we haven't really looked at that as much yeah I I agree with everything you're saying because one thing I I didn't notice this before I did the interview, and I've only noticed when I was scribbling down notes for this, I t- I do take umbrage with kind of the IMDb plot summary synopsis that's up there. And they refer to her character as a deadbeat nanny. And I think that's, I know that's just a marketing person has done some, I just don't think, reading that, I kind of go, that's not that character of Bridget at all. I don't consider herself a deadbeat nanny you know we think of when we think of portrayals and characters that are dead but it's normally Seth Rogen Seth Rogen has kind of cornered that market in the meal kind of it was just something that bothered me and I was thinking of films that I've seen similar to this and I mentioned Amy Schumer's Trainwreck which had its funnier moments it was much more of an outright comedy than this but I think it's it's sold it's it's sold its soul in its finale to try and you know become a to try and sell itself as an untraditional rom com. Then in its finale to go into complete traditional rom com tropes. The only other film, and I can't remember if I mentioned it in the interview, was Jenny Slate's Obvious Child, another film I absolutely adore, which is another film dealing with abortion very much from a woman's point of view and an unsensationalist point of view. James, this just didn't work for you at all. Like none of the characters in this you find engaging. Even Margaret mentioned the character of Jace, who is just the 26-year-old man of my dreams. I I'm I, look, I'm 38 and I would love to be as woke, if that's the correct term, as and well read on all these issues as a character like he made me feel bad is basically what I'm saying because there's things he kind of talks about so, yeah I'm cool with that you want to have sex in your period 
that's cool. You know, he's kind of talking about, he's reading to her. It's the things I love about when they're doing, when it, well, not when they're doing, but during the, I don't want to call it that, but the the abortion montage when it's this kind of kind of various scenes going through, and he's just kind of reading to her and kind of saying, "Yeah, I understand this, this, that, and the other." And my main criticism of the film is that his character is, by a certain point, just left, and I don't think he's I don't think he's a, a like a deadbeat character at all whatsoever. I don't think he's you know an anchor holding her back anything like that or a boulder holding her back i think he's quite a nice character and we see her moving off to there's another love interest that kind of emerges near the end of the film that was my only kind of but then maybe that's me because i'm a fan of rom-coms i wanted it all to be you know wrapped up in a neat bow but i that was my only criticism for me that i really had towards the film that the character of jace He's just the nicest guy ever. You'd want to go for a pint with him. Even now on the first day of, you know, the pubs being reopened, I'd risk going for a pint with someone like Jace. He's a nice guy and he just gets left behind. But but you, th- this just didn't work for you. So, I mean, like, would you rather watch something like Amy Schumer's Trainwreck as opposed to this or? It's, yeah, so it's, like you said, it, it's just something that didn't work for me. Um, I wouldn't say that, it, you know, I would choose something, you know, as conventional over something like this. Like I'm, you know, it's something that I love doing. Obviously, being a blogger is, you know, people recommend me films or you know stuff that I haven't seen, and I'm like, okay, I want to go check this out. You know, I'll happily go. I will spend my money. You know, having only read maybe a review about it or seen it advertised, and I'll happily spend my money and I'll go and watch it. And you know what? Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. And that's just you know, how these things work. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily choose something conventional over something like this. Like, as I say, I can appreciate how, you know, the subject matters that it tackles and how it's played out. It's just, it, yeah, it, it just wasn't, just wasn't my thing at all, though, unfortunately. Um, and I, like I say, though, I can't really say that, you know, I would say to someone, oh, you know, it's a, it's a terrible film. It It's not, but... I can't really, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't really put it in any other sort of way with my words. I'm not very good <laughs> with doing that. But um, yeah, I, just, I personally just wouldn't wouldn't watch it again. So I wouldn't. So. Well, if I could ask you this, yes. if I could ask you this way, did you find yourself put off by some of the subject matter? Um. Yeah, yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. Um. Like there's so there's so much you know, going on in the world right now, um, and there's so many, you know, movements about certain things happening, and it it's fantastic that you know these issues are finally being uh you know brought to light, and more and more people are being made aware of them, and that's great. I don't know, just for I just kind of felt like the film was kind of you know forcing that down my throat sort of thing, and. You know, my apologies if that um, if that offends anyone or if I'm coming across as naive. Honestly, I, I do apologize. I don't mean to, but it's you know something like in the first 15 minutes, you know, oh like there's a Black Lives Matter sign on the porch, and you're like, right, you know, okay, okay, and then later on in the fridge, it uh, it brings into view you know unborn lives matter sticker, and you're like. Oh, okay. And these are very serious topics. And like I say, um, they are handled well within the film, certainly. But to me, it's just, it's kind of like being knocked over the head. You're like, oh, okay. It's, 
you know, it's not what I was expecting, but it's it's making me very aware of it, if that makes sense. Okay. I I, I see what you're saying. I kind of, if I'm honest, really disagree with you. Because I, I didn't find that with this film. I didn't find that this film was lecturing me or hitting me over the head. It was quite simply stating that things like this happen. Things like this, and these are issues that affect people on a daily basis. And I thought, in certain regards, it was handled really well. Particularly with the three central female characters. I come back to Bridget, Maya and Annie. And I think it's Annie who's maybe going through depression. I thought that was handled so well. And that, that was just me. I never felt like I was being lectured. And I am the person who will sit down and say to a film outright, if you're lecturing me. I, I don't know. I, mean, I didn't have those issues. And I thought from a screenwriting point of view, Margaret, and I'll be interested to see what you think. I thought it was so well written in the fact that everybody, apart from Perseus, the dreamboat that I never knew I, I wanted in my life, I felt that most of these characters in this narrative had an arc they had a kind of process you could believe that certain characters their life existed when Bridget wasn't there and I know that sounds a bit of a rambly stupid statement to make but it's a bit like when you think of when Harry met Sally with Nora Ephron we think of the the couple Carrie Fisher and I can't remember the name of the actor that couple you believe that their life goes on without Harry and Sally and it's the same regard, there's characters in this. I felt, you know, if, if Bridget wasn't there and the drama wasn't unfolding, their lives would still be going on. I know one of the awards that Kelly O'Sullivan earned for this was the Nora Ephron Award for Screenwriting. So maybe that's just me putting two and two together and getting four. But I don't know, for you, Mark, I know we're going to move on to any other business very shortly, but was was that something from a screenwriting point of view that thought worked for you? I I was, I mean, it's about like yourself, James, I did notice in terms of like the... Black Lives Matter in terms of how it was put into the the story and but I sort of think that I sort of thought that things felt a bit more natural because that's relevant to the world today I didn't really feel like things were being shoehorned into the script I felt like this is how the world exists um a bit like you know you're saying obviously those characters and how they function I thought this is kind of that and we're seeing it more clearly than ever Black Lives Matter but just because we're seeing it now doesn't mean that those signs and these you know this awareness wasn't going on before obviously when they shot the film when she wrote it with the characters I mean yeah I felt like everyone had their storyline and Maya and Annie they raised their daughter and they were raising you know their this new new baby uh, weirdly I mean Jace and then the, the other guy that she um gets with who's a bit of an asshole mm-hmm. but you know we're not merely meant to you know we're, you sort of got me you sort of marked this card and I think it, well I was sort of like why are you doing this even you you know you can see even she's like not really buying into this anymore why are you going with this guy um yeah I mean I sort of feel like we we see what he's like with women enough Mm. to see what he'll be continue doing Jace yeah I just would have liked maybe a little bit more like what who is Jace aside from this quite um attentive chilled guy you know but Mm. a modern um and pretty open mindset, which I, I really liked. I just kind of, yeah, I wanted to do maybe a wee bit more about him. But maybe that was intentional. Maybe, it, you know, the guys supporting the female characters, maybe that was just, you know, it was about, maybe it was meant to be about the female. Um, but uh, yeah, as you said, he, he is a nice guy and it was a good mindset to have. But maybe that's all that she wanted to represent, that we have a male character who who can be this positive example. Um, in which case, job done. It worked. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like things were handled well, you know, uh, and I think it 
for me, at least it ended on a nice note where you feel like Bridget's wised up a bit. Um, in whatever way she she moved forward in her life, you feel like she's just mentally matured a bit and now has this new um friendship slash family around her that's probably going to continue in some form, which is quite nice. So, yeah, I mean, uh, James, you didn't like it, but I mean, I guess I'd, I'd encourage people to watch it. I think that um there was a there is a point as we're saying like when she goes through the abortion and afterwards she's like oh do you think this is it um i think that is going to be a point where people check out i do mm-hmm. think that there's going to be a, a portion of the audience who feel um certain ways about abortion in which case they're going to go this is not the movie for me but what i would say is if anyone of those people are listening it isn't the, the movie isn't that viewpoint the movie is about dealing with the aftermath and and the process it's almost like the process of I don't know maybe grief in a way you know you go through all these different stages of acceptance and denial and I feel like there's an element of that so yeah on that note Margaret as a filmmaker would you maybe say if you were kind of it's the impossible situation I know listeners but if you were shooting that with your DOP your director writer would you sit and say right well that little bit would be you you take that out you've got a, a you know a a tighter sequence a, a better film would you kind of would that little bit would be if you were to say right cut that bit you don't really need that if i've picked you up right specifically where we see bridget going over to her boyfriend to show him yeah is that be something you'd say right everything else but if, if that was you i'd say right if you were being ruthless say cut that you don't need that i think i'd either say cut it or change it slightly i can't imagine that's a personal thing for me and other women may feel differently which is completely fine I can't mm. imagine ever going to anybody male female look at this in that regard and um, I just think that I would I would have never I wouldn't really comprehend that so that was a wee bit alien to me but then for me whether you agree with abortion or not I do think it's a serious topic mm. and it does have an effect in the aftermath and in that moment her character was very cavalier about it and almost a wee, it felt a wee bit jokey and that was that threw me. So if I was being ruthless to keep the audience and make sure I didn't lose them at that point, I think I'd either I'd either cut the scene if it was if it stayed as it was, or I'd change the tone of it at least slightly. It's something that did shock me the first time I watched it, but second time I didn't have that response. But then maybe as you've said, Margaret, I knew that's not the pathway. The film was gonna go down. James, I know you're not that keen on the film, but in a sense you not think though a film like this is, in a way, a good piece for a conversation starter. I know you're kind of saying it's plain political bingo, but you're not thinking in a way there's a sense a film like this is a great conversation starter for certain topics. I know the director has kind of said through making the film and working with Kelly, they are partners in real life, that he's more comfortable in talking about certain things that he felt that men really had no place to talk about. Like I say, you know, my personal opinion, didn't enjoy it. And uh, obviously, you know, my views on it are different from what other people feel. Um, But no, I would certainly say that, you know, it is definitely worth people watching. Like you have both... uh, brought up you know it does address very serious issues and very you know big topics which uh are certainly you know people can only benefit um from watching this or you know people can only benefit more from you know them talking about it afterwards so you know most certainly i would encourage people to still watch it 
um, if that uh, if it's you know it's something in their market that they want to do, um, or even if they want to I don't know educate themselves, I would say probably is it a right way to kind of say that. Um, but yeah, no, I would certainly put it across as you know just because I certainly didn't like it doesn't mean that there's people out there you know who won't. But yeah, no, it definitely does address like I say some serious issues and. People should definitely check it out where they can and when they can, and um, whether that be in the theatre if it reopens, or you know maybe just going and renting it online or watching it online certainly because it you know it is put across those certain topics. Uh, again, like I say, whilst I didn't enjoy it, I can't fault that it wasn't handled in a mature way. You know, there's nothing that was uh, made fun of in particular, or you know didn't necessarily just kind of skim over anything you know it goes right down to the core of certain subjects and I mean that can only be a positive thing for a film in this day and age to you know to do that with so I would certainly say people you know people should watch it and it it should certainly start some good conversations yeah I'd agree the only thing I think that terribly dates it if I'm genuine, my I was kind of talking about my flaw being that dreamboat Jace the man of my dreams that I'll never sadly get to meet the only thing that really, I think, dates this film terribly is the Harry Potter references. It's a bit like when you see, like, in rom-coms, they throw in references to certain episodes of Game of Thrones. You know, I think, I can't remember, is it Sex Tape? They talk about the Red Wedding and stuff. And I think that's the only thing I would turn around and say to a screenwriter or anything like that, cut that, because in my mind, that dates your film instantly. And also, if you've never read Harry Potter, there's a spoiler in it about someone dying let's not say you know it was just a, it was just a hurtful reminder for me that that character died that's what I found but I don't know either of you guys just before we move on did you find that that was only a small niggle for me I had with the film that I think that in terms of it, when you throw in a pop culture reference like that I think even now for 2020 this was probably shot 2019 I thought it was a bizarre reference if that makes sense, I thought it was like a reference that felt like ten years too late for her to be sitting. But then, you know, be, you know, Margaret still hasn't caught up on a load of box sets. Margaret hasn't seen The Wire or Breaking Bad, so who am I to judge? I don't know. That was just a small thing for me. I felt from a screenwriting point of view that dated it for me. I, I don't know what you guys think. Um, I kind of thought her reading Harry Potter. Whilst I do know adults fear reading Harry Potter for the first time it traditionally isn't something that happens usually you know you've either grown up with it or you're, or it's children reading it um you know younger generations and I kind of felt like it was a way to cement that she was still younger than her 34 years but the other thing for me is that maybe this is a movie that needs to be dated maybe we need to maybe that you know I mean we have um it's I think it's isn't it Annie's the lawyer you know we have her and she gets like you know, she talks about how she's experienced casual racism and hopefully that's going to be, you know, we're going to see that change at some bloody point in the future. Um, and maybe this is a way to kind of remind us, well, this is what it was in around this time, you know, um, or attitudes, viewpoints to um, somebody breastfeeding in public and how they get a negative reaction from another woman as well, which you'd like to think, you know, we all want to think that women maybe have a, a more, um open mindset you know but you know especially because that character is also a mother you know mother to mother but no that's not always the case and sometimes there's there's an attacking element of it as well so I don't know I think in some ways I noticed it 
it jarred with me a little, but I, I think in some ways it maybe has its place. It's it's a tool that it's it's been used to specifically date it. That's a perfectly valid point. But then I suppose what else would you throw in as a reference? Yeah. Right now, I, that's the kind of thing you know you'd be damned if you even throw something like Game of Thrones in as well. You know, it's just that thing. It was just a niggle for me. James was an issue at all. I know you just didn't like the film at all. You just didn't like it. You know, let's be let's be honest. But was that something that even furthered your general dislike to it? Um, no, no, literally, it just um, no, it did, didn't didn't bother me at all. It didn't, is that is that because no. you like Harry Potter, James? You no. were just pleased <laughs> to hear a Harry Potter reference. <laughs> no, no, not even that. It was just something that was you know it was in there. Um, for me, it was just kind of just something to kind of bridge that scene before you know she she goes in uh, for for her appointment. So it didn't didn't phase me at all in any way. Um, okay. Again, that probably shows my lack of understanding maybe for for films or certain things in films obviously but um yeah no i, I, I didn't i noticed it and i was like oh okay you know cool harry potter reference okay and then move on sort of thing so okay okay well look i think that's mixed feelings all around for saint francis we shall move on and wrap up this week's show with any other business So guys, this is any other business where we just generally talk what else we've been watching. Margaret, I'll start with you. What have you been watching other than St. Francis? I started Mr. Robot this week. So that's... You're going to you're really lose your life. You're going to lose yeah. your life. Okay, it's great. It's really good. Who, who knew all these TV shows that I keep right here in my fingers? Um, it's very clever. I think I know. I listen to... I love Scriptos, the podcast, and they had uh, Sam Israel on... Um, the creator of Mr. Robot and they were talking about different things so I'm pretty sure like I if I remember correctly there's a pretty obvious big spoiler well not obvious but big spoiler that I'm aware of that I'll I'll not go into um but otherwise it's still very clever and interestingly um or well coincidental research for a project that um Aiden and I are developing at the minute so uh just in terms of like the the format and how some of the storylines work so um yeah i got the um two birds one stone there yeah, so yeah there no it's go. good but I'll, i'm gonna keep watching that one yeah there we go i would definitely recommend mr robot i haven't finished the final series i think the final series is up on prime i think it's finished it's it's run uh yeah i i just lost my life when it was connor who works at nvtv said to me for a long time just watch it just watch it just watch it unlike margaret unlike james i give into peer pressure listeners and watched it and lost my life and that's all I can say. James, we were talking at the start of the show. You were saying you've been watching a bit of Mean Girls. You're, you're still yeah. feeling a bit shameful about it. I don't know why. There's nothing to be shamed about at all <laughs> with Mean Girls. Have you been watching anything else beyond that? I um, watched uh, Rocketman again uh, the other night there. Fantastic film. Just I really, really did enjoy that film a lot. And yeah, Um I remember the first time I saw it when it came out in cinemas. It was uh, the night of the Snow Patrol gig down in Ward Park in Bangor. So whilst basically half of Northern Ireland were across the road, here's me and one other couple in like a 300-seat cinema by ourselves watching Rocketman. But uh, I'll take that out of the week, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a great show. And funny, we didn't mention it in the news section of the show. I did see this week the trailer for Respect. The Aretha Franklin biopic yep. has dropped. I didn't know this project was in development no. at all, but we have, isn't it 
Kate Hudson, no, not Kate Hudson. That would be a very different type of Aretha Franklin. It was Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We have Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin, uh, a role I think that woman was just born to play. She looks superb. She's singing on screen, which is something I'm very quickly going to come back to in another film that I watched this week. But that looks great. I love, I'm a sucker for a well-made musical biopic. And that looks great. The trailer's up on our website, listeners, if you want to check it out. But the other film I've watched this week is Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. James, you haven't seen this, but I think, Margaret, you have. Yeah, Uh, I haven't seen it. I want to, though. Well, I don't know. I reviewed it for the TV show this week, and I have never sat in my seat at home and found myself willing, literally willing myself to like a film because I said this in the TV show, I cannot remember the last time on front of the camera, Will Ferrell was funny on the big screen. I genuinely can't remember the last, other than the Lego movie, I can't remember the last time I found Will Ferrell funny. You know, there's films that get hard that actively offend me in a lot of ways. You know, we talk about the Black Lives Matter and all that kind of stuff with the campaign. There is a film that is just the antithesis, the the complete opposite of what that's all about. And I I didn't hate it. I know some critics have been really positive about it. Some critics have been really negative about it. I just sit down the middle and go, it's it's too, it's too long at two hours. Some of the jokes don't land. Some of the jokes don't go anywhere. And it relies too heavily on Will Ferrell shouting. But I will say this, Rachel McAdams is the heart and soul of the film. And... Whilst Will Ferrell was a big turnoff for me, I think he's miscast in this. And it's a labour of love for him. You know, his Swedish wife is a huge fan of Eurovision. He's produced this. He's co-wrote the screenplay. He's acting in it. I think if he wasn't acting in this and maybe someone, I think there's maybe seven or eight years age difference between him and Rachel McAdams. I really thought it would be more, but I don't know. I just never got any chemistry between them. And it's a shame. I'm talking there about Kate Hudson. No, not Kate Hudson. Fuck's sake. I'm... I'm talking about Jennifer Hudson singing on screen in Respect. That was a niggle for me, but it happens all the time that it's quite clearly not Rachel McAdams' voice in the film. And plus, why is Eurovision taking place in Scotland? UK's not going to win the Eurovision. But Margaret, I know we're coming to an end, but you watched it. And I think when we spoke about this just before the recording, you were much more enthusiastic i judged it by the fact that you smiled whenever i mentioned it i judged you know that you you like this a lot more clearly than i did yeah do, do i not smile often when we're discussing no no no, no, no don't be so only, only when we're discussing like you know batman versus superman or suicide squad or something like that yeah no i don't mean that way but it's just you can gauge people it's whenever you mention oh, yeah. a film and then you can just see a smile on their face appear and it's like going okay cards mark Margaret McGonagall yeah. likes this film. No, <laughs> I I thought this was so much fun, and I'm gonna rewatch it at some point. It was like a pitch perfect. That's what it was. It was another pitch perfect where we have a big sing along and you know a couple of disaster performances and then a big super finale, um, which was a really nice song. And I did go and look up the or the actual singer because I was like, oh, I want to hear more of her. Um, mm-hmm. I did think it was funny, and I love Dan Stevens. Um, yeah, yeah, I would so agree with you. Great. I mean, I, I did, <laughs> I didn't know about this film. Like, we were channel flicking, and um, we're just going through Netflix, doing the usual. You know, we could t- you could spend an hour doing that, and 
um I think before we just lost our minds in and said oh just put that on which I was surprised at because I didn't think it'd be his cup of tea at all and I, I really enjoyed it yeah it's 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 fun it's daft don't expect this to be like a serious epic it's just a fun daft movie um I liked it far more than I would ever um say I like Eurovision itself so yeah well no. you see that's the thing I think people that like Eurovision have really liked the film and the film is made in conjunction with the organizer so it was never going to poke fun and as I said in my review in the tv show I didn't want this to be a nasty film that a nasty comedy like something like someone like Todd Phillips would serve up that pokes fun at all the lunacy that goes on at Eurovision I just didn't find it funny enough I just didn't I mean there's there's stuff in there that there's jokes that go nowhere and there's jokes that just didn't land I come back to the point I think it relies really heavily on Will Ferrell shouting loudly to try and get a comedic response from me and it it didn't it just it it's a shame because I'm I'm literally I'm being genuinely honest, listeners, when I say this. There's a moment where it's not really a spoiler, a lot of it. It's in a lot of the, the, the best bits are in the trailer, where there's an unfortunate incident in the semi-final of Eurovision in this film. And then there's a moment and it's like kind of you just well you just sit there and you go, I literally am sitting in my seat at home, not in my cinema, not in the cinema, but kind of going, I wish I liked this more. And the closest thing I can relate that to bringing it back to a film that Mark McGoldrick, listeners can't see that I'm pointing at her. I don't actually know if this works because the way all your different kind of things, but I'm pointing at you, Margaret, on my screen. It's the same with Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. The unfortunate event that happens at the end of that film, without going into spoilers, with poor old Henry Cavill. Spoil it. I sat there and wanted to have an emotional response to that because this the score is trying to get me to get an emotional response. The screenplay is trying to go. Everything's trying to push all my buttons and I'm sitting there like a stone-cold sociopath going, no, nothing's happening. And when I'm watching Eurovision, I had the same response. I was going, if this had been tighter, if this had been better, I would have had a full-on big cheesy big grin on my face I agree look Margaret I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny I mean I have actually bought the song that's the final song in Eurovision and I I think I do like it I just wanted to like it more I wanted this to be the film that makes me go I like Will Ferrell because you're the person that got me to watch Game Night with Rachel McAdams and she's great in that she's great in this it's just a shame that the film itself is just too long and too bulky. James, you haven't seen it, so you don't know what madness that we're talking about here. No, I I don't know. Like I'm yeah, because like my mate watched it and he, you know, he said it was very good as well. Also, I just want to throw in really quickly, Batman v Superman did not, you know, the worst part of that ended like about half an hour before the film. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, Martha. Do you know what? You're if you're gonna go down a Batman versus Superman, this podcast's gonna go on forever. Having rewatched the film, I watched when all this stuff came out about the Snyder cut, I went back and rewatched what is it essentially the Snyder cut of Batman versus Superman. And I don't have an issue at all. I think it's cheesy, but I don't have an issue with that Martha sequence at all. I think it actually, it, it works. It makes sense that, without going to spoilers too much, but in an incident, in, an, in a certain incident, in a certain instance, that 
a character that has been dehumanized in somebody else's eyes, he is humanized for a second and it gives him pause to reflect. I, I, I admit, I was like you, James. I hated it at the cinema and I thought it didn't work. But the more I watched the film, genuinely and honestly, that's the least of that film's problems. It's like talking about Joel Schumacher. God rest that man. He is much more than a filmmaker that, that put nipples on the bat suit. There is much more problems with Batman versus Superman than the fact that Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent both have mothers called Martha. It's it's genuine. I know people take the piss out of it all the time, and I'm not sitting saying here I think it's Shakespeare. <laughs> I'm really not. But I have less issues with that than just with a film that, you know, you kill Superman, and I literally sit there and go, I couldn't give a shite if he never came back ever again. I really couldn't. And I love Henry Cavill. I really do. I think he's a really charismatic, good-looking guy. Margaret's shaking her head, listeners. So clearly she is not pleased that he's going to be back in more Superman movies. Well, more cameos of Superman. I, I, do you know what? I had sympathy for him after those movies because he was given... I, I remember somebody actually tallied up the amount of lines that Wonder Woman had and Superman had. Superman had. I thought he was just really... He really wasn't given a role to work with. And then I watched Witcher and I thought, shit. Just have you, no. have you have you seen have you seen Mission Impossible Fallout? It. Have you seen Mission Impossible Fallout? Because he's charismatic yeah. in that. He's, he's charismatic yeah. in Man from Uncle. He's charismatic when you see him being interviewed. He's charismatic. I think he's got a bit of character about his Instagram profile. He's a big nerd, so therefore I'm bound to like him. But when we see him kind of being Superman, he's just left as this charisma vacuum, and it's worse. Like in Justice League, I'm paraphrasing because I haven't seen it. There's a line where he kind of talks about what I smelt before and you're like Jesus Christ Henry someone needs to speak to your agent son and get you better lines in this film yeah no um in fairness you're right on Mission Impossible I will give you that um haven't seen Man from Uncle I have it I haven't seen it um but so there's no sure. chance of you you've got so much to work you're not gonna maybe by 2030 you'll get around to watching that Margaret <laughs> oh maybe uh, but I, I did watch the Witcher and people were raving about it, so I was like, "All right, I'm I'm not in this at all." But I will. I've started. I will commit, and I finished it. And I was just like, "What on earth? It's just ridiculous." And there was nothing, like nobody, and nothing in it that was a saving grace at all for me. So that makes me sad. That makes me really sad because I haven't watched it, but I'm a fan of the lore and the video game and stuff. So that makes me others, really sad. <laughs> others love it. Others really, really love it. I. 100% not even given season two a chance. Nope. <laughs> nope. Hey, James, it's a big pile of shite. I really didn't like I I tried. Wow. <laughs> I, I really tried to get into it, but Margaret's finished it. So there's a revelation, I think, in the penultimate episode or the last episode about what's actually going on to explain itself. It's a bit Westworldy, series one, and didn't care. I don't think... Going forward into season two, I think now that that issue's been resolved, I don't think it's going to make me any more enthusiastic about it. I thought it was fine at best, but I really wasn't fussed on it. I, I genuinely, I was actually kind of disappointed. And but I will say this again: I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm Henry Cavill's agent somewhere. You know, I feel like I should be because I don't think again, I don't think he's that film, not that film. I don't think he's that series' problem. I think he's. He's trying to portray a character that's not really that charismatic. And I, I don't think he's that role, but I don't think he's the problem with it. Do you not think, like, 
and I don't know the books, so maybe I'm taking this more literally than it was intended. Um, the character, the Witcher, is meant to be emotionless. Mm. And I don't know if this is meant to be this kind of like rumor of the Witcher or that he's actually, because of the way the world is set up, is he literally meant to be without emotion? Because he acts with morals. You know, he will just kill someone off because the, it's the wrong thing to do. He's going to save this person because, oh, I'm annoyed, but I'll go do it, you know. And and then at one point, 70 years has passed. And I swear to God, I thought it was two, maybe maybe two story days, mm. 70 years. And I was like, what? Like, I, I get, okay, people in the fantasy world cannot age. But, you know, your style could change. Your hair could change. Surroundings can change. Anything. Give me a wee hint other than a reference to crow's lines. I was just thought, what laziness. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> it, it's okay. I, I, I thought it was fine. I think the problems are actually in the first few episodes. I think the series kind of found its feet in the latter stages of its run. But by that time, I just was, wasn't engaged. Hey, you know, I'm sitting here. I've just realized I'm the person criticizing Margaret McGoldrick and James for their lack of TV watching. I'm the person that this week realized there's a third series of Jessica Jones. I have that to binge. I don't know whether it's worth binging. I love Jessica Jones. Okay, the second series was a bit problematic. And I've also realized at the last three episodes of series three of Daredevil to finish listeners. So that is a little treat for me. Apparently, the rights for Daredevil return to Marvel in October this year. So, fingers crossed that we see Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio in some shape or form back. I can only hope, you know, you know. see, with COVID, all I can do is dream. Margaret, I, she, Margaret no, no, you're shaking really, your head at me. You're shaking your head at me, Margaret. And I'm going, <laughs> let, me, let me dream. I'm a peacock. Won't you let me fly? No, Daredevil's <laughs> amazing. And I think we probably will see it again. I just don't trust Disney to not like water it down and for that reason i'd rather not i'd rather than not go back and wreck what is absolutely fantastic okay disney watering something down never never that's my two cents okay (laughs) margaret margaret mcgoldrick just lawyered me listeners that's all i can say she completely (laughs) lawyered me in that situation but i don't know well i wouldn't say the mandalorian's too watered down if it's on a similar kind of level to the mandalorian i'd happily have it back i just want vincent d'onofrio back as the kingpin i want him in the spider-man universe I want Charlie Cox back. I want them all back. I don't actually, you know what, listeners, I'm now not going to watch those last three episodes of season three of Daredevil oh. because I don't want it to end. I'm just going to treat this like the end of The Sopranos where, you know, Daredevil both exists and it doesn't exist. But anyway, that's me off another ramble. Let's not go there. I think we shall bring this podcast recording to a close. So all that is left for me to do is thank you very much, Margaret McGoldrick. Thanks. Thank you very much, James Oliver. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. We shall be back, listeners, next week with another podcast. If you've enjoyed what is increasingly becoming therapy sessions for me, possibly for other contributors, I don't know in this COVID times, but if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe. You can check our entire back catalogue on our website. And as I said, we will be back next week with more cinematic ramblings. But for now, until then, goodbye.